0: The funny thing about aging is that it starts pretty early, but it doesn't have to suck. Maybe there's an alternative to shelling out tons of money for doctors, medications, and machines to prop us up while we slowly fall apart. And the answer may be right outside our door. This is my conversation with Martin Pisani. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch and if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. The Truth Tastes Funny Podcast is brought to you in part by the kosher brand bringing streetwear back to the street. The kosher brand, it's all good. Unifying people, bringing people together through street art, streetwear, and also through the nonprofit Keep It Kosher Project, which is under the auspices of Creative Visions Foundation, giving artists the tools and platform for a voice. So we're really happy to have the, the support on this show. My guest today is the author of the international bestseller, Secrets of Aging Well, Get Outside. He's a TED speaker, founder of an innovative brain fitness startup, and a mountaineer who's hiked and climbed, yes, 100 million uphill steps across seven continents in fi- over 50 years. And we are thrilled to have Martin Pisani on today. Martin, thank you for coming.
1: Great to be here, Hirsch. I'm thrilled to reconnect with you after all these years, and I'm, I'm so pleased to be able to do this with you.
0: We worked together at Elias. That was during your marketing days as an executive. You worked with agencies. You worked with brands. I know you, you worked with Bally Fitness for a while. So you, I think similar to me, we, we both have a lot of work experiences that have contributed in some way to the whole, exactly. to what we're focusing on now. I want to start with, I actually want to start with with kind of an embarrassing moment of mine or an embarrassing fact I ha- it's not super embarrassing but I have a terrible fear of heights so when I think about mountaineering I always wonder what would it feel like if I actually summited you know a mountain like what's your earliest memory you know and the book is is marvelous and takes us through so many layers of this experience but w- what's your earliest memory of mountaineering
1: well, you know, first of all, let me address your fear of heights thing, uh, because that's how it, you know, if you don't have a healthy fear of heights, I think you're insane. Every climber, even those who do extremely incredible feats, you know, vertical walls, Yosemite and, and all that, have a fear of heights. It's important because it, you, it's an easy way to get killed if you don't. It, keeps, it gives you the respect for what it is you're doing. So you get to conquer that fear in little steps. You start out with smaller hills, you start out with then medium hills. And so my first real mountain was when I was about 14 with my father. We climbed Mount Washington in New Hampshire, and it's only sixty two thousand six thousand two hundred eighty eight feet, right? By northeast standards, it's the tallest peak, and you can fall a 1,000 feet down a cliff if you're not careful. So you get to understand in in small increments, in steps, the respect for it. So by the time I started climbing very tall mountains, and as you know from the book, my, my favorite mountain is the Matterhorn. I've done it a lot. There's, there's right. a 4,000-foot vertical wall on the Matterhorn, and you can easily fall the whole length of that. But you've conquered... In your head, the ability to, to break it down into small pieces and not fear the height. Let's face it, a 50-foot fall is going to kill you. So 4,000 or 50 is still going to get killed. So the, the rest becomes a, it becomes a mental challenge. And, and if you're competent and you, you add the skills layer by layer, it's like anything. It becomes less daunting. There are many things that are, to me, very daunting that I, I have great respect for people who can get to them layer by layer and it's the same in anything you do. You you start small and you work your way up to uh, a competence. And the skill is in your head. It's it's more mental than physical. To fear of heights, but you know you don't ever really conquer it. You just control it. Having a fear of heights is important because you you can easily get killed if
0: you if you if you lose that respect. If you watch the BMX stuff and you see some of these stunts where they are riding down a mountain, and I wonder is it is it skill or is it like almost a foolhardiness, or like a lack of fear, that drives someone to be able to do that without without falling. In other words, is there some part of that person that either has a lack of fear or a, a or a supreme skill?
1: Yeah, both of those things exist. Actually, um, I should say the fear the fearlessness usually resides in youth. Who have not had a near death experience or, or a serious injury yet they you know when you're young you do think you're indestructible and then at some point in life you realize you're not you either get injured badly you take a fall you crash and so some of what you see in those real extreme sports is that complete fearlessness based on the fact that yeah they combine some incredible skills but never having had a serious injury or a near-death experience. As you put on the age, as you put on the miles, as you get experience, you start to have more close calls. I've had a number of really close calls, and 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 it makes me more respectful. I lost the invincibility effect of youth, and now I have a great respect for staying alive. That's the whole point of it. I, I kind of the older you get, the more controlled you want those risks to be the more competent you get the more you understand the mental battle and it, it's kind of a complex interplay between risk and reward and and how much are you willing to, how much risk are you willing to accept but you know as you get older it probably goes down a little bit you know yeah. you, you really respect the years and, and your and your life a little bit more i think
0: we're taught that age is a certain thing. Yeah. We're taught that 50, 55 is old. We're taught that 60 is old. You know, how did you, how did you prove that wrong?
1: There, There's two seminal events for me. One is that, as I refer to in the book, I was about 35. I was in that sort of fearless age. I was training for a big mountain and I was climbing Mount Washington, which I've done about a hundred times. And I bumped into on accident uh, a 75-year-old guy trail running uphill on Mount Washington. And he was in way better shape than I was. Here I am. I think I'm in the prime of my life at 35. And there's a 75-year-old guy kicking my ass up running uphill. And uh, it, it hit me that, like, wow, I didn't know that was possible because when my grandfather was 60, he could barely walk up the stairs. And here is a guy much older, and it really rocked my world. And it, it really was a, a, a turning point mentally that you can – Control the way you age by staying active. And I had said to him as he passed by me, I said, How are you doing this? He said, Well, I live just down the road. I do this two or three times a week. I've been doing it since it was your age. Sonny, see you later. And he blew past me. And it occurred to me that if you don't slow down, if you don't give in to aging, if you don't in your head think you're supposed to slow down, you can stay active. And And that's what I've done. And that guy really just changed the trajectory of my life by by showing me that. And then I also, about 10 years ago, crossed paths with two entrepreneurs in the fitness business who were in their mid-80s and still going into the office every day. You know, traditional corporate world, they sort of start to put you out to pasture in your late 50s, certainly in your 60s. And these guys were in their 80s. Working every day. Now, granted, they own the company, but they were still active, vital, sharp as could be. And I, and it, it hit me. I, I guess I was about fifty at the time. I said, you know, you don't have to give in to that decline of aging, and and I do not intend to. I I plan on working at least full time until I'm seventy five or eighty, which is more than ten years down the road. And I've also seen too many of my friends um, and neighbors who retire at sixty two. And then by the time you see them a couple years later, they seem like they've aged a decade in a couple yeah. of years. They stop using their brain. They move less. They interact with people less. They have fewer friends. They aren't challenging themselves. And you age. And all that has added up to me that I think we just, in our heads, retire too young. We give up. We give in to aging. And the whole reason I wrote that book was to show that you can remain active, You don't have to give in to aging. And certainly in my generation and your generation, we have a different outlook than our parents did. It was assumed you had to retire in your 60s because you probably weren't going to live that long. But now, you know, life expectancy is in the 80s. What are you going to do with yourself if you retire young for 20 or 30 or more years? Watch television? Play golf? It just seems so wasteful of the years to retire and then... Do nothing for so long and it inevitably leads to illness and and a slow decline and, and it's a boring life. To me it is anyway. So I, I intend to stay as active as I can. I am you know, I, I think I've got a lot more productive years in, in, in entrepreneurship and corporate world left. I don't intend to let the 40 plus years of business experience go to waste. I want to use it and help, not only help people Create companies, uh, create jobs, do things interesting, and travel, and 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 uh, stay active. There's no point to me retiring means giving in, giving up.
0: Well, what I love about it is that, um, you know, you talk about how how you how you had reached a point in your corporate life where you were letting yourself go. Yeah, you were losing, you know, stamina, age, you know, the the you were putting on weight, and you weren't working out. You know, you're traveling millions of miles a year, but. The good news is that all the stuff you were doing in those years is serving you now as an entrepreneur, I imagine. Oh yeah. you know. I never pursued the what I consider to be corporate, you know, the system. I never really was I, I worked for some big production companies, I guess, but I didn't have corporate oversight, and so I always was kind of a, you know a service provider or an entrepreneur in some way, a small business owner a comedian. When I started doing stand-up again, I was making fun of my age. And lately, before I read the book, but certainly after reading the book, I'm starting to feel like, you know, who am I serving by telling people that I'm old or middle-aged? You know what I I like? Methuselah was 969 (laughs) and Noah was 950. Right. And you know that like, the arc probably that whole experience probably took off a few years, you know, he <laughs> yeah. probably would have even lasted longer. Right. So if people can get into their nine hundreds, you know, who are we to, to, to feel old and decrepit at, at 55 or 60?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. You know, you know it, it, it's all, it's all what you've been programmed to believe. And, you know, I think it, it's all, it's happening very fast. You know, there's All of a sudden, this baby boomer generation is living longer and trying to figure out what to do with all those extra years, right? The baby boomer generation has a tendency to change categories and to to push companies to do things for them. There's this thing developing called the longevity economy. It's a monstrous part of the economy, and it will get larger going forward, but it's all the businesses and services that are designed to serve people above age 50, between age 50 and 100, which, by the way, centenarians the fastest growing part of the population, people above 100. So, you, you know, by taking care of yourself, by eating properly, by staying active, by not being stupid, you know, taking ridiculous risks, you can extend the number of healthy years that you have and might as well use that productively. Now, I guess the World Health Organization or the CDC or one of those folks has recently redefined the categories of aging, so that middle age now goes to age seventy five did you know that so we 're technically middle age I remember I was looking at my grandfather when he right. turned sixty. I thought he was ancient and and he was because he was acting ancient, he had retired and he was you know not very fit and I just don 't want to be that kind of, of a 60, 70, 80 year old I want to stay active i want to i want to i I went skiing earlier this week in Bend oregon at at Mount Bachelor at nearly ten thousand feet. And I felt that you know I'm 66. I felt like I was skiing pretty good for someone who was in their 30s. I used to be a ski racer, so I, 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 I'm a pretty good skier. And it's like riding a bike, you know, was it? But I was bombing up and down the hills with my 39 year old son. I felt pretty good about it actually, and. I intend to ski until I'm 80 if I can. So, you know, I I, I think the key is not giving in and staying active, constantly working out, being fit, moving, challenging yourself, working. I I think you can really change the trajectory of the way you age. And that's kind of become my mission. And again, that's why I wrote the book, is to kind of share that thinking with people who I think there's a tendency to want to retire and, and give up and give in to age. And I, yeah. I, I fight that.
0: What effect do you think all of this has on how we deal with some of the just bizarre and really harsh and really scary realities that we face from, from climate change to whatever side of the spectrum you're on, politically in the world, pandemic, all these things that are that are pretty heavy if you add them all up together? How does the outdoors help? Well, you know, it's context.
1: an interesting question, you know, because I do spend a lot of time outdoors. You want to hear a crazy number? I just saw it. I think it was the World Health Organization published a number that said human beings spend 92 percent of their lives indoors, indoors. And and that's gone up and up and up. And certainly during the pandemic, <laughs> we spent yeah. more When the antidote to me, and I did this all throughout the the pandemic, I got outside more than ever because I was going stir crazy working from home doing Zoom meetings. So I needed to get out even more. And so I have found out, I have discovered, I have witnessed that people who spend more time outdoors are more sensitive to Planet issues. They don't litter as much. They take care of themselves. They clean up after themselves. They they're respectful of the trails, and they're respectful of the outdoors. And I think that goes a long way towards living in harmony with the planet. I I think you know people whose whose lives have a, a strong component of getting outdoors not only live longer and have you know there's other many other benefits but I think they do have more respect for these issues because they understand we've got this one plan and we've got to take care of it, right? You know, I, I think the pandemic obviously changed a lot of thinking on all this stuff, you know? And I, I, I discovered, and, you know, I, I kind of like Zoom for a lot of reasons because I, you know, like you, I spent so much time on an airplane. I think back over the decades, couldn't I have done some of that over Zoom that I have to get away from friends and family and put so many miles on if we had a tool like that? and I, I, I'm glad it's there. On the other hand, I I don't think it's a good substitute for face-to-face. I don't like the working at home all the time, just Zooming with everybody. It reduces the serendipity that we have when you interact with people. When you're in the same office, in the same environment, you don't plan you can't plan the magic of creativity. You can't plan the spontaneity of an interaction that creates something big. There's sort of a magical chemistry that comes from people interacting together. And that is gone from Zoom. And I, I worry about companies and the economy dealing too much with now with Zooming and, and not people getting together and interacting and seeing face-to-face and expressions. You know, every weird encounter I've had in the last two or three years happened because of texting. Not not just Zoom, but I'm talking about how easy it is to misunderstand <laughs> people via text. And oh. where incidents would never happen if you were dealing face-to-face with someone. You would never have an argument or a disagreement or a, I mean, you might, but I mean, the point is it's so easy to misunderstand someone on Zoom or text. And it's just a different yeah. dynamic. And I'm, I've become very, uh, very much a fan. There's a, there's a couple of books around, but there's an author named Nicholas Carr who's written a book called The Shallows. and it talks about how the Internet and Zoom and technology has rewired our brains in a way that isn't necessarily conducive to, to great relationships and, and creativity. And as you know, you know, I'm in the, the brain health business. So I'm very aware of a concept called neuroplasticity, where through exercise and movement, you can rewire your brain to to live longer, basically, to stay active longer. But you can also, through inactivity and technology, excessive use of technology, rewire your brain in a bad way. And I'm, I'm concerned about that balance at this point. I think we have a whole generation of people who are so dependent on their phone, looking at that flat screen of their phone and and technology, they're going to spend more time indoors instead of more time outdoors, which is the, which, you know, we're human beings are made to be moving outdoors. We're made to be absorbing, you know, the solar energy and and, and breathing fresh air and listening to nature. We're not made to be sitting in a, in a sterile office, looking at a flat screen all day. It's not good for us. It's not good for our longevity or our creativity.
0: Yeah. I mean, I go back and forth, you know, like when I'm home, I sometimes feel like I'm missing out. You know, I was in a lift this morning and it was a short drive. It was maybe 10 minutes and the driver asked me what I did. I told him about the podcast and it turns out he's a recently retired mental health professional and is just a perfect counselor, speaker, guest for my podcast, which has a lot to do with mental health, a lot to do with, with kind of keeping it together. And that's not a person I would ever come across. You know, I would never come across that guy, that Lyft driver who happens to be a public speaker or happens to have been a counselor for 35 years. It just wouldn't happen. Right. And, and I need that in my life. I need those, those mysteries to unfold at the same time. When I'm traveling, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I was just back at the house with the family, you know, back in my basement, <laughs> in my basement office, you know, as long as the weather isn't too terrible. Like, that's depressing. Yeah. I find having to stay indoors and living in a climate where a lot of the year it's it's not conducive to being outside, that's not good for me. I'm yeah. not liking that.
1: Yeah, I, I, listen. I, I think we all have to have more respect for the power of being outside and nature to make us more productive, make us less stressed, to make us more creative, to improve our relationships, to p- introduce that sense of getting out there and and the surprise, the mystery of an adventure. That's important, and and it, I think. Part of the issue that we've had worldwide for the last two years has been that's been gone. People have been sequestered and, and not taking risks and not take, not having adventures. And uh, you, by the way, I don't know if you've traveled recently, as have I. Airports are as crowded as ever, uh, 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 m- even more so. I think there's pent up demand to get out there and see the world and interact with people and get outside. Trailheads all across the country, there's cars. You got to get there really early to get a parking spot at a trailhead now because people really do. It's all pent up. And I think we're responding to things very in a very human, in a very primitive way, which is I just got to get outside more. I got to see people. I got to talk more. I got to get out there and experience the world. And that's critical.
0: That's critical. So, so Martin, talk to me a little bit about, about fitness and, and your views on it. You're, you, you've worked in every category. I think professionally. So, so given the fitness is such a big part of your.
1: Yeah, life you know, it's, it, it, so it is. I've worked, as you said, Hirsch, I've worked in a lot of categories uh, from music to, to spirits and wines and automotive and consumer packaged goods. But my favorite category is fitness for a lot of reasons. Cause I, I personally I, I like to stay fit. I've been a member of a fitness club since 1979 nonstop. I, I try to stay fit and my, my, Avocation of mountaineering demands that I I keep a certain level of fitness. I have strayed a few times over the years because of work and and the demands of travel, but uh, I generally have stayed pretty fit for my age. Now, interestingly, when I I officially joined the fitness industry in 2003 as chief marketing officer of Bally & Crunch, which at the time was the world's largest fitness company, my job was to broaden the category, to broaden the company. The company had been stagnant. And we realized very quickly, we did some really landmark research, spent a a million dollars in research that had never been done before to learn what prevented people from going into the gym. And there was this pervasive belief that you had to get fit before you joined the gym or you'd be embarrassed or humiliated. And that literally keeps two-thirds of the people of the potential market away from the gym. And so my mission. I've, since then, I've I've tried to welcome the people who need it most. You know, people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and the disciples of you know of bodybuilding and weightlifting and the real super athletes. They don't need to be coaxed into the gym. It's easy for them. Most people do need a little. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be humiliated. And they need a different kind of a customer experience. And that gets even more pronounced with age. There's a Big drop off in gym membership above age 50. And that's because the customer experience isn't particularly conducive to, to, to an aging target audience. So, again, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. The book is about getting fitness that didn't depend on the gym get outside, work out, hike, climb, yeah. get you fit. The other side of my, one of my missions has been to create customer experiences specifically focused on people above age 50 who need different kinds of workouts that are not so much into weightlifting, although weightlifting is great for for an aging body, but they want more f- what's called functional fitness, which is a kind of fitness that teaches you how to exist in the world, how, how, how to keep your balance, how, how to prevent fall, how to stay strong enough to lift your luggage, play with your grandchildren, stay mobile, stay active, stay cognitively sharp. Those are important things to people as you get older. When you're younger, you want to look good in a swimsuit, you want to look like, you know, you want to look like a bodybuilder some people do or an athlete. But that that kind of changes as you get older. When you get older, it's about living a happier, healthier, longer life and not getting sick and not and not declining and not not and taking care of yourself in a way so you don't get diabetes, you don't get high blood pressure, you don't have a heart condition and you don't go into cognitive decline and you do that through aging. So my my mission is to figure out ways to use fitness as what I call upstream preventive health care, which is basically stay fit enough so that you don't get sick, so that you never have to deal with the, the maladies of aging until you're very, very old. And there's this concept that I love. It's called compressed morbidity, which is basically, and to shorten it into a phrase, live long, die fast, which means... You stay active. Right, you, you stay that. active for a really long time, and I've seen this happen numerous times. And then, in your 90s or older, hopefully, you get you get sick and and you and you die quickly. The the opposite of that is this long, slow, unhealthy decline where you're spending most of your life savings on medical condition on medical services and and medicine and your family is all impacted by your constant need for the emergency room or a doctor or medical care that is that's just an expensive and sad way to live i I just i i i hope people understand that they can take charge of that they don't have to give into that by staying active they can live long die fast a much better much better way to go
0: i believe in that martin because i i I feel personally that I take too much medication. Like I have have high blood pressure, AFib, you know, things like that. And you find yourself, you know, I had, I've had Crohn's since I was, since I was a, you know, child. And thankfully I've really gone through the last 20 years or so with very, very little distress from that. But still I found myself in the last 10 years, starting to take medications. And yeah. I feel like I keep, every time I go for my checkup, I go, can I get off this stuff? Can I just get off this stuff, lower my blood pressure? You know, I mean, my weight is not, I'm not, you know, as some kind of out of control, hyper eater, lethargic. I, you know, I, I should be able to clear the decks of some of those meds. At least I, at least I believe so. Uh,
1: I think that's you know? a worthy goal. you know I, I have long felt, and again, modern medicine can do wonders. They can you know they can fix a lot of things and they've kept lifespans longer. On the other hand, I think a lot of that can be done by taking care of yourself. The concept of upstream preventive health care can prevent a lot of that from ever being necessary. I often feel that doctors are too quick to write a prescription. And it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of adding medication after medication after medication. And as a result, you become, and I hate i hate thinking this, we become, instead of patients, we become recurring revenue streams for the medical community. I mean, once you get somebody hooked on blood pressure medicine, yeah. or the, it's, it's just automatic, the insurance pays for it, you're, you're writing out the prescription, you go to CVS once a month, and you're walked into that. I'm, I'm trying to resist that if I can, yeah. as long as I can. I, okay, I, I mentioned I'm 66. I wear that proudly. I, I think that that's a really good age to be because I got all this experience and I still have energy and youth. And, and, and this is the honest truth. I take no medications whatsoever. I have nothing. And I'm, I'm trying to keep that as long as I can, you know, knock on wood. But I'm trying to to use the concept of upstream preventive healthcare on myself by work. I work out, you know, four or five times a week. I hike two or three times a week, and I still, you know, I'm juggling two or three startups. So it can be done. You just have to make it a priority. And and for me, it's been a it's been the the central part of my life, probably since you know since I left the music business, which you know that was actually. Uh, as much as I love that business, when we were, were working together, that was when I was the least fit, the least healthy, because it was that bi-coastal travel back and forth, you know, a lot of time on planes, expense account, yeah. expense account dining, yeah. entertaining clients, you know, and then you're tired and instead of working out, you take a nap or you sleep. And, you know, and that that is, that is also a trap. And, you know, a lot of us in corporate world or entrepreneurs fall into that. It's an easy trap to fall into. And I, my... My admonition is try not to fall too deeply into that trap. Stay fit, stay active, don't overeat, eat more carefully. You can take care of yourself in a way that prevents you from going down that path of one illness after another, high blood pressure, indigestion, leads to GERD, leads to hypertension, all that stuff can be taken. You can take charge of that if you need to, if you really want to.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I also think that, you know, when we're in our forties, let's say, when we're like in the height of that, of that business pursuit and that corporate pursuit or whatever, whatever it really is, and we're making all these trade-offs, it's because we think we're still kind of borderline young.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
0: We're still kind of young enough. Like when I was 40, I didn't feel old. And I was, you know, running around all over the world and I was, you know, and I think it's only in the last, you know, and I did more traveling through one company. I've been fortunate in that in the last six years, I've traveled throughout Asia and I I, I got to go for work to a lot of places that I had never traveled for leisure. So I was able to go to, to, to Thailand, to Taiwan, to Japan, to China and, But I think by the time I did that, I had a different outlook already in that I had my health in, in my mind too. Like I wanted, I wanted to experience that stuff, but I didn't feel like I was, oh, I'm in in a different place every week. I'm a jet setter.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very Um, seductive. I, I know, you know, you think about when you're 40 40, you still remember when you're 25. It's like it wasn't that long ago, so yeah. you do still think you're young. And, and, but you, you, I, I tend to think 50 is the point at which you start looking forward and start, start counting the number of years you have left. When you're 40, no, nah, you don't do that. You still think you got time to offset it, to reverse everything. Yeah, you know, I'll lose those 20 pounds next year. Right now I'm going to have that extra glass of wine, and, yeah, I'll have a second steak. So you, know, you, you, get, you get into that trap, and it's a, it's a real easy trap. But yeah, as the years progress, you start to realize, I better start taking care of myself. You know, you get a few symptoms here and there. You know, you, you're, you're, your weight goes up a little bit. And, you know, I, and I literally, I, I gained a lot of weight in those years, and the doctors wanted to put me on high blood pressure medicine. I said, you know, I just, I don't feel right about that. I think I, I should do this myself. And fortunately, I did. I took off, you know, 40 pounds from that era. And I'm practically back the way that I was when I was 35, which I'm, I'm really kind of happy about. But that's important. That's I mean, great. Yeah, I know. But it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of discipline. But if I can do it, anybody can do it, frankly, because I was literally almost the poster child for, uh, you know, living life in the fast lane, back and forth, you know, flying, you know, during that era, you know, I'd fly off to Dubai, go to a conference, come back, go to Paris, then go to L.A., right. You know, ha- have an expensive meal at Ivy by the shore, then go to New York and entertain clients in downtown. You know, that's it's very seductive to do that. But boy, you can't do that forever. You can't. You'll, it'll, you'll be not only burnt out, but no. you'll be really unhealthy, really unhealthy.
0: No, I also feel like whenever I think of when I think of you and I think of the time that we worked together, I always feel like I was a little bit of a smart ass. Was I like, I know, you know, Adam, my former partner and I, were we like just like assholes a little bit or no, were we just, it's funny. Yuck. It's
1: funny you should mention that. Well, you are supposed to be, you were a New York LAPR guy. You're supposed to be that, a little bit of that. Yeah, I, you know what I mean? I kind of look back and think I was the asshole during that period because I was supposed to be cleaning up a company that needed cleaned up and you can't do that by being Mr. Nice. Right. So I had to be kind of, a, I used to complain to the private equity firm that owned the company. I said, you know, they're going to hate me. And, and if I if I do what I have to do, and they said, "Yeah, but we'll like you more," and so the guys who own the yeah. company, you know, and it was a, it's a tough thing because you know the music business actually it's a, it's such a fun business, and the people in the music business. I mean, I think musicians are very special; they just have a gift, and uh, there's something about them that I really adore. But they're not particularly adept at business, and so some, somebody has to be the bad guy. And I I was unfortunately put in to be the bad guy. And it hurts to be the bad guy to nice people. So yeah, it was kind of a weird period for me. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny. No, you were not an asshole. I think I was the
0: asshole, actually. Oh, good. Okay. Okay, good. Good. I didn't want to say that. But I also didn't really think... But you were in that unenviable position of laying down the law for people who were artists. Yeah. And I was always more of the artists. Right. Like I always identified with the artist because I didn't come from a corporate background. So I was always defending the artist. And that's my recollection is that it was a little bit of an unfortunate, we were almost at somewhat of odds. We were working together. Well, I wouldn't say it was at odds. We
1: just, you know, I was paid to be the bad guy. That's what it was. Because, you know, the problem with that company at the time. And it it had a lot of great features. I mean, the the talent was unbelievable at a lot. I mean, just remarkable. But the guys who created the company were too nice. And as the business got harder, I mean, you know, to put it into context, Hirsch, you may remember that was the era where music was going from analog to digital. And all the profit was being sucked out of the business. So the business had to change. And, 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 some, and it wasn't going to be a musician who changed it. It was going to be a bad guy like me who came in and, and, and made tough calls. Yeah. And, and that, was, that was what I was hired to do. And it was maybe unenviable, but that's the job. You know, sometimes you've got to do that. And it, it hurt to have to, you know, downsize and, and to make tough calls. on people who were basically nice people, really talented people. But the business was changing. And look what Apple did to the business. You remember, that was also the Napster era where all of a sudden people oh, thought yeah. music was free. I mean, free. And so the, our customers, which were the ad agencies, well, they didn't want to pay over premium prices for custom music anymore. They wanted free music from Napster. So how do you run a company with giving away free music? It can't be done. You have to change the company. So yeah, I, it was an interesting period of adapting, trying to adapt a company from analog to digital on the fly really challenging really challenging
0: yeah well i'm happy that we stayed in touch over the years i'm happy for things like linkedin that happened to be like where we where we remained connected and that yeah. i saw your book because i was excited when i saw it, when i saw your book because even when did it come out did literally
1: you say- april of covid literally the moment covid started to get really serious right. when i watched it yeah
0: yeah and I really, I really hope, but uh, we'll have a link to, you know, on on our webpage, we'll have a link to where people can get the book. Before we wrap up, is there anything else going on that you want to share, that you want to tell us about, that you're at liberty to talk about?
1: Yeah, you know, I've, I've always got plans uh, going and I've got, I'm, this is this sounds crazy, I know, because I'm a fitness guy. I also, I started my career out working at Hubline, which is the company that turned into Diageo, the world's largest spirits and wine company. Diageo, right. Yeah, so and I've always maintained that. I launched eight years ago at Tequila Company. We have a very successful little tequila business on the side of Craft Tequila. But I'm about to launch three bourbons into the world with some really great bourbon maker partners. And, and, and while it seems like that's at odds with fitness, I actually, it, it's, it's not. It, respectful drinking is not a bad thing. A drink here and there is a it's an important enhancement to your life. Overdoing it like anything not good. So you know, I'm, if it seems at odds, it's I've, I've resolved it as responsible drinking is is totally fine for 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 adults. It's when it gets too far down the road and carried away that it's it's detrimental to your health. But so I'm 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 pushing ahead in that area, and I've got plans for a longevity company that are starting to simmer, which is really really interesting to me. Again, the book triggered a lot of ideas about how to stimulate longevity for more people. And, and 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 I think that's where my future is. And I'm also writing a second edition of the book as we speak and hope to launch that at the end of this year because I got more stories to tell. And I think now that I'm a more experienced writer, I think I can improve on what I did. So yeah, never again, that's my plan is to not give in to aging, to stay cognitively active, to create, to write, to stay active, to keep launching companies out into the world. And uh, I'm going to do that until I drop.
0: Well, I think we need to stay in touch. And uh, and I I find you inspiring. The book is Secrets of Aging Well. Get outside. Get outside. And uh, Martin Pisani, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, and you're welcome to come back anytime. When you do have your longevity brand, when you have, uh, if you want to, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of bourbon and whiskey as well. I think I think that anything in the extreme is is kind of a little risky. Like if you were to do too much, uh, drink too much bourbon, or never drink any bourbon, or never try anything new, or limit the foods to just the ones you know. You know, you have to explore life, Absolutely. but use your Use your mind and keep your mind healthy. Keep your mind healthy through exercise. And totally. thank you so much for coming on. I really, really course, appreciate it. so that we
1: connected. It's been, it's been fun. It's it's really great. And I agree. I I love LinkedIn for that reason. Oh, you know, stay in touch with people and watch how they evolve and grow. It's It's exciting. Good time to be alive, isn't it?
0: Amen. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five star review and share this podcast with your friends.